On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we're navigating the fever dream that is Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. It's a dystopian future plagued with environmental disasters, declining birth rates, which prompt a second American Civil War. We asked the question, though, did Margaret Atwood even know what she wanted to write? Nope. Yeah, I doubt it. Content warning for this week's episode. We have some sexual assault, some references to slavery, and torture. Not cool. Not cool. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, where Mel B and Jackie D here. We break down book-to-screen adaptations, one drunken podcast at a time, and we are feeling mm-hmm. pretty good right now. Yep. We love to hear from you all, so check us out on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're covering them all. Um, not that we're good at any of them, but we have a presence. So find us under same name, Read, Watch, <laughs> or DNF. Yeah. If you like what you hear, please share our show, follow, give us five stars if you can. Um, And if you have any input, write a review. We want to read them. We want to hear from all of you, see what you have to say. Okay, here we are. Let's talk about what we're drinking this episode. Jackie and I did go to brunch again, which Mm -hmm. is fantastic. We met up with James. We're going to give him a little uh, promo here. So James, he works at Jimbo's Bar and Grill, which is in Gainesville, Virginia. If any of you are nearby, go check it out. But if you go, ask for James. And he's not there on Sundays and Tuesdays, right? Yep. Yep. So any and other he day. usually, yeah, he usually works bar. So Yeah, go to the bar, sit down. It's got a big bar. Great place. They have an amazing brunch. They got great wings. Um, and James is an amazing bartender. Go check him out. So we did get brunch again. We didn't do it last week. Um, it was kind of a somber episode. So we were a little, we had some other stuff going on. But I made a point. I was like, for me to get through today's episode on The Handmaid's Tale, I needed brunch. <laughs> I needed brunch. I needed mimosas. So here we are. Had a bunch of mimosas. Jackie had beer, though, which is fine. I'm not judging. I just don't think that's really brunch worthy. But anyway, I had Four mimosas. That was my goal to do four before we left. We didn't spend too much time there. Um, and then we decided, we, we, we figured out a new drink. It's called the Melmosa. And that's mm-hmm. a mimosa with grenadine. I'm sure there's another drink that has a name already, but I don't care. We're calling it the Melmosa. And that's what I'm getting from now on. I like uh, it. Actually, no, I had five. I had five mimosas because I may or may not have had one to go. So five. And here I am now with my grapefruit sparkling wine. It's a sparkling rosé, ruby red grapefruit. It's amazing. So that's what I'm doing. Because, listen, I need to be light and fruity and airy to get through the fever dream of a disaster that is The Handmaid's Tale. So that's where I'm at. Jackie? I am drinking a Canadian whiskey called Pendleton. Canadian whiskey, first of all, because of our author, Margaret Atwood. Mm. She's from Canada, eh? Or Canada, as I like eh. to say. Yes. And Pendleton uh, for Mel's husband, Stephen, because, you know, Marine Corps. Yeah, he's a West Coast wanna, Marine. want to thank him for humoring us and supporting us. Uh, it's mixed with uh, Coca-Cola Zero Sugar because of calories. Uh, Mel disgusting. thinks it's disgusting. So I gross. have 
acclimated myself to the taste, so I actually kind of like it. Uh, but yeah, so gross. Canadian whiskey, yeah, Canadian whiskey with Coca Cola zero sugar. Disgusting. Like it it anyway. tastes kind of like a. It tastes kind of coconutty. I like it. I don't care what you say. It's disgusting. Anytime you say Coke Zero. Jackie, it was her week to find a drinking game. And she did find, I think she found a couple, right? Yeah, Um, there's that one that has like 30 different rules that you have to drink on. But that was dedicated to season three. But I sent you the link for the just general, I think it's like five or six rules. Okay, so what do we got then? Okay, so first rule... Uh, the one rule that they had that I would never drink is Nick look hot, looks hot. Just oh, the Nick in the show. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, uh, Not but hot. the first <laughs> the first rule is Alfred stands there and stares after someone tells her to leave or walk slowly somewhere. Yeah, she reminds me of my daughters. Yeah, go do something. What? Especially Norn. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> The second rule is Serena and Fred switch roles as good person, bad person. Oh, yeah. They do do a good cop, bad cop thing, don't they? Yeah. Uh, second or third rule is someone says under his eye or blessed be the fruit. So that is what's going to get you the most drunk in the show. And uh, the fourth rule is opera disassociates. Fifth rule is someone cries. And the sixth rule is Nick looks hot, which, again... I would not drink at all. No That's offense to the actor that plays Nick. Just totally different than the book description. I also think he just looks really young. He does. He honestly looks like a maybe 13, 14 year old boy. Yeah. he's. Uh, I mean, maybe not that young. I don't want to go pedophile on everyone, but he's, he looks young and well, offered he's supposed to be like not, 30. Not attractive at all. Yeah. We, part that's of it what is we're agreeing. the fact that he looks so young. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of him. All right. <laughs> drinking game, it's not your Devil Wears Prada get you in the hospital drinking game. I think if you make because it's per episode, so it's not as much. It's not like a two-hour movie. Uh, so, okay. Give it a try. If any of you try it out, let us know right in the review. See how it worked out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully you don't end up in the hospital because that's not what we're trying to go for here. Let's talk about The Handmaid's Tale. This is what we are focusing on this week. We are, we have read the book and we have watched the Hulu series. So that's what we're basing it off of. In The Handmaid's Tale, this is what the synopsis is. It says, in Margaret Atwood's dystopian future, environmental disasters and declining birth rates have led to a second American Civil War. The result is the rise of the Republic of Gilead. That's what they're calling a new nation. It's a totalitarian regime that enforces rigid social rules and enslaves the few remaining fertile women. Offred is one of these. That's the main character. The handmaid bound to produce, or a handmaid bound to produce children for one of Gilead's commanders. I think we still don't understand like what a commander actually is, but they're high-ranking in the government, like their new founded government. So she says, deprived of her husband, her child, her freedom, and even her own name, Offred clings to her memories and her will to survive. At once a scathing satire, an ominous warning, and a tour de force, which I, I looked up because last week I, I read a review that said tour de force and I was like, I don't know what this is. 
In the dictionary, it says a tour de force means an impressive performance or achievement that has been accomplished or managed with great skill. Okay? So that means this book has been categorized as a tour de force of narrative suspense. The Handmaid's Tale is a modern classic. Mm. Sure. Okay. We're going to get into all this. We're going to get into who read first, who watched first, and and then the characters and the plot. But I'm just going to put this up front. This book is a fucking fever dream. And just so you know, (laughs) this week... We are, we're going to dedicate our F-bombs to Danny. I don't think Danny cares about the F-bombs, so we're not going to apologize for them per se, but all of our F-bombs are going to be dedicated to Danny. So here you go, Danny. I, yeah, so Fever Dream for me, I I have read the book before a long time ago, and this is the first time I actually watched the show. So reading the book again, I, I remember... Somebody actually made a comment on the thing, a social media post that we made, and they said, Handmaid's Tale was the best book they will never read again. And I think I can agree with that because I don't remember hating the book the first time I read it, um, but reading it again, I go, I, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. Well, and I don't, I don't know if talking to you about the book before I started reading it, because I watched first, and then I read um, I don't know if talking to you, Mel, uh, before I started reading it impacted how I approached it, but you told me Fever Dream before I started reading it, and the only when way I, I started reading it, it. I, I just, I, she is so totally right. I can't, I can't do this. I can't. But I did for all of you. Yeah, we read it and we it. watched it all. Oh. And then we swapped. So yeah. let's talk about that. I, Mel here, I read the book first. I read the paperback edition. It's 295 pages. And Jackie and I actually had a conversation last night about an epilogue that was in there. She, the version that she read. I checked again. I don't have that epilogue. So in mm. this version, paperback, 295 pages, Anchor Books which is a division of Penguin Random House. It was published in 1998. Yeah, so this one does not have the the uh, the epilogue. So 1998, this was published. The original book story was published in 1986 by Margaret Atwood. Um, I did tab again. I I believe my tabbing is improving like leaps and bounds. I'm showing Jackie right now on the camera. I think it, it looks, looks better. Very very neat. It's very neat. It's all the same tabs, same brand of tabs, same color. Yeah. So I'm I'm getting there. I'm, we're, we're working on Little Women right now, and I, I think my tabbing is actually a lot better. Uh, you know who so, you should talk to? Who? Bowie. Oh, yes. Yeah, serial killer Bowie. Yeah, she's amazing. I should reach out she to her. She is not like have... actually a serial killer. FYI. We don't know that. So allegedly. everybody knows. Well, I, we'd like to think that she is not. Speak for yourself. But, well, I, I guess, would like to think she is not. I wouldn't judge her. If she was actually her, serial, I would not judge her. Her handwriting just screams. She's very neat. She's yeah. very meticulous. I think she would absolutely know what to do with this tabbing. But anyway, yeah. tabbed again. Third book tabbing. It's it's getting better. I'm getting there. Um, 
Yes. And so I read first. That's the version I read. And then I watched the Hulu series, obviously, because that's what it's on. It's a a Hulu original series. There's 10 episodes, which I thought I went into it thinking there was eight. So when I got to the eighth episode, it is nearing the end. I was like, oh, this is kind of odd. This is a little different. And then it started saying playing next episode. I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean next episode? (laughs) And then it played another episode after that. So I I was a little uh, traumatized by that. But it's okay. Made it through. We finished it. I think season two has 13 episodes. So I'm not doing it. Elle and I tried to watch the movie last night and tried being the operative word because we got an hour in and got banned on TikTok. We did get banned decided on TikTok. To just, <laughs> just decided to give the movie a pass because yeah. it was awful. The only reason we were watching the movie, we were doing a, a watch and review party on TikTok, TikTok Live. So if you follow us on TikTok, that's what happened. We started, we didn't, this is on us, okay? We're not blaming anyone else. We didn't do our research. There's a ton We've of We've never nipple. seen the movie before. We've never seen it. <laughs> it's the original adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale. Margaret Atwood was actually a screenwriter on that. So she participated in it. It's a huge cast. Robert Duvall, Faye Dunaway, etc. Done in 1990. Uh, it's about an hour and 48 minutes. We were actually in... An hour and seven minutes we were into the movie when TikTok shut us down. So a lot of nipple, a lot of cringy, more so cringy than the book and the show, which I felt like was hard to do, but the 1990 version did it. Uh, So, and once we got banned off TikTok, we didn't finish the movie. So the 1990 movie you can do without. We just walked away. (laughs) We did Uh, actually walk away. (laughs) I read second. It was a Kindle edition because everybody knows that I like to read Kindle. It was 312 pages. It was the edition that was published in 1986, and it did include the historical notes section at the Mm -hmm. end, which you can kind of, at first glance, skip over just because it says historical notes. You think that it's going to be some kind of reference for things that were going on in the book, but what it actually is is a... a conference of people discussing this find and it was audio recordings that offered made for uh, her experiences in Gilead when she was trying to escape. They found these recordings and they eventually ended up transcribing them and they're talking about the authenticity of the recordings. Uh, but it was published by O.W. Toad Limited, which I guess is a division of Hot and Mifflin Harcourt. But okay. your guess is as good as mine. Wait a minute. So the epilogue is called Historical Notes? hmm Oh, it does have that in here. It reads like a transcription, transcription from a... Okay. Kind of a symposium where you have panel speakers. Oh, okay. And so they're talking I'm about to... these recordings that they found. Yeah. All right. I'm going to retract my earlier statement saying that this edition does not have the epilogue. It's just that it's not called an epilogue. It's called historical notes. And it kind of and looks in like. In mine, yeah. In mine, it was not either. Whenever you get to the last page in a Kindle edition, it comes up with this, okay, you finished reading this, do you want to rate it, stuff like that. And I had done some research and found out that there was an epilogue, and I wanted to see if there was an epilogue in my book. 
And so I minimized that portion where it wants to get you to rate the book on Goodreads and stuff like that. And I saw that it said historical notes, and then it goes into the whole discussion of the panel talking about is this find the recordings that they found that offered did are they authentic or not okay so it retract the edition that i own does have the historical notes i just skimmed over it because it's separated in a manner where it blends in with the author's um acknowledgements mm-hmm. which i i don't care about i don't know why there's like 10 pages worth of like extra shit that the author is writing uh, short, whatever. So the, it is in there. I have not read it. So here we go. Whatever. I don't know if it adds anything. But no, I didn't read it. Not sorry, not sorry. I'm not going to go back and read it now either. It, you're not missing much. All right, Jackie, Dean, and myself, we're going to share some interesting facts that we found out during our research phase of The Handmaid's Tale. I found some book ones since I read the book first. First one, Margaret Atwood wrote The Handmaid's Tale while living in West Berlin in 1984. So this is before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And she actually was inspired by the environment that she was living in at the time for this novel. And another sort of sub-interesting fact of this is where she was writing another novel, but this one just, like, kept getting into her brain, per se. So she's like, let me just freaking finish this novel, and then I can write the other one. What inspired her was she said she experienced the wariness, the feeling of being spied on, the silences, the changes of subject, the oblique ways in which people might convey information. Is that's what had an information? Uh, that's what had a an effect on her, and what inspired her to write this book. Yeah, my mom lived in Berlin before the fall of the wall in the late sixties or early seventies, and her brother went out there to visit her. And apparently, the feelings of wariness waiting to get stopped by the Stasi and was kind of overwhelming. Yeah. So that played a big role in her writing this novel. And I, I, why I wanted to put this up as an interesting fact is because a lot of people here, especially in the last several years, our political situation in the United States is they, they use this book as um, sort of a narrative saying like, Oh, this is where we're going. The handmaid's tale. This is why she wrote this book because this is what could happen. And in reality, she, she wrote this book in another environment that was much more severe than we have. And we're not going to get into the politics of this at all. I just mm-hmm. wanted to bring up that she wrote this book because she was living in West Berlin, not the United States, which a lot of people are, are misinformed about. She did not get this from the United States. The Hulu series, I believe, draws a lot of their inspiration from the 1972 to 1977 ERA time period in the United States. So that's why you're seeing a lot of the translation there. And I believe most people have watched the show more so than they've watched the, read the book. Anyway, again, we're not going to get into the politics. I don't want to get into the politics of this. Even Margaret Atwood, during several numerous interviews, has said that she does not like this book to be politicized. <laughs> so we're not going to do that here. You're welcome, Margaret Atwood. We did talk a little bit about this. My second fact was that there is an earlier adaptation, the 1990 film, which Margaret Atwood was a screenwriter for that that adaptation. And if anyone did see <laughs> our live before we got banned 
so funny that we got banned. We are we are not I, I would just say I would just say we're not people who get banned from social no, media. No, we're we're posting like this is our favorite book and here's an adaptation. I think the last post I did before we did the live was about Hamilton. So yeah, mm-hmm. we're not the type of people that get banned. Anyway, this movie got us banned from TikTok. We were not expecting that. Margaret Atwood was a screenwriter for that. Why it's funny to me is because the 1990 version departs severely from the book. So the fact that Margaret Atwood is a screenwriter would make me think that she's putting this stuff into the adaptation. So is this what she wanted to be in the book? Wanted to be in the story? Why we asked the question in the beginning of this? Did Margaret Atwood even know what she was writing? Because there's a lot of stuff that changed from the book to the 1990 version and then to the Hulu series that we're going to get into. A lot. A lot. So it's like, Margaret, what did you want? What did you want in this book? Because clearly the book didn't capture it for you. Uh, The book did not do well. One of the, not the book, I'm sorry, the movie, the 1990 movie did not do well. Uh, One of the reviews from Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone called it merely a piss poor rehash of the Stepford Wives with delusions of grandeur. (laughs) That was the review that they made of the 1990 adaptation. And I feel like we didn't finish it. Just mind you, we DNF the shit out of that. We literally walked away. Jackie went downstairs. She's like, hey, you know the movie's still playing? I'm like, I don't care. Let it do whatever <laughs> it's doing. I'm not finishing it. I do agree with this review, though, from the Rolling Stone at the time. Third one, last one for me is, this is pretty interesting for books, especially something that's so polarizing as A Handmaid's Tale, because it is very contentious when it comes to high school readings. It's, it gets banned a lot from school reading uh, lists. Um, it gets banned from libraries in certain areas, which I just feel like, why are we still banning books in the United States? Like, that is why. Mm-hmm. Why? Anyway, even considering that, The Handmaid's Tale, though, is one of the rare books that has never been out of print since it was first published. That's amazing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so it has consistently been in print since it was originally published, which a lot of books cannot say. So very cool on that. It is an impressive book. I think if you look at it objectively, even if you don't like the subject matter, the content, the book itself um, is that sort of at that time, like 1984 was coming out, uh, Slaughterhouse Rule or Slaughterhouse Five, something like that. Which I have read. Yeah, Clockwork Orange. Very dystopian, weird books so it stands to test it stands up next to those so very very interesting book so i thought that was an interesting fact yeah and interesting facts that well the first one you found mel was the fact that margaret atwood play uh she does a cameo in the series she's the aunt that slaps off for not joining the shaming circle Mm -hmm. at the red center at the beating so that was pretty cool and the only reason i know really what she looks like is because i watch her master class yeah that's the only reason i was like hey that looks familiar and i haven't seen the master class but i went back and i looked at a picture of uh margaret atwood and i'm like oh yeah that was her just slapping okay. bitches around left and right stage, in her own story stage slapping 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joseph Fiennes, uh, another one that I found, Joseph Fiennes said that his wife does not watch the show because she does not like the disturbing nature of Commander Waterford's character. Hmm. I also feel like she probably doesn't want to watch him doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because of the series, the film... It, there was kind of a sparked interest, a renewed interest in the film. So people were paying as much as $100 or more for a copy of the movie. Seriously? Yeah. That's, that's dumb. Seems excessive. That's dumb. But that's what I found for interesting facts. There weren't that really many uh, or many interesting facts for the movie or the show, sorry, uh, compared to the last two books that we've done. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Devil Wears Prada. So I I guess this is kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Something that I found, which I I thought was interesting, not particularly like in the show itself, but the director of the show, she actually wrote a thesis on The Handmaid's Tale in college. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. So I think she had a a personal interest in this, why she kind of went out of her wheelhouse to direct this show. I read that somewhere when I was looking up my facts. Alright, let's talk about the reviews. Like we we have the Goodreads review and the IMDB. We only care about user reviews. We don't care what the critics have to say. They're dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, but maybe. I read first, so I went ahead and looked at the Goodreads review. Overall, it has a 4.12 out of 5. So on the on the higher end of the reviews, 4. Point, I think anything like 3.8 and above is pretty good in Goodreads. Total review total ratings is 1.7 million. So 1,713,557 when I looked it up. It's not quite as many as the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I think that was like Mm 2.2 last week. Um, But 1.7, it's up there. But if you think about time since it's been out, this has been out since 1986. But again, Goodreads wasn't out that whole time. Um, So we're at 1.7. So I would think if you really consider all the people that read this in college and high school, the number is probably astronomical. But on Goodreads, ratings, 1.7 million. 42% of those was five out of five and then two percent of those was one out of five and actually if you look at the goodreads ratings it's uh like the most is five out of five and the second most is four out of four and etc so it, it cascades down sequentially almost some of the reviews i picked up five out of five this is what this reviewer said i would love to write a lengthy review for this book but i can't thank you because I'm so emotionally drained after reading it that it's a miracle I'm not still hiding underneath a pile of blankets sobbing. This is by no means an easy read. I agree with that. But Mm -hmm. I think it's a book that everyone needs to read. No, I don't agree with that. I don't agree. I don't disagree I don't agree with like the sobbing. I really don't think I connect an emotion with anyone in this book, any of the characters. Is it a good read per se? Sure. 
in terms of like if they're reading it in school, I think it's good critical thinking discussions that can be prompted from it. I think you can learn a lot from this mindset, this narrative, sure. But I, I maybe I lean more towards Jackie. I'm like, eh, sure, sure, maybe. But I wouldn't mandate it. Next review, five out of five. All caps, mind you. This is in all mm-hmm. capital letters. This book's about orgies and people who like orgies and some people who hate orgies. H8. That That's H8. the great thing about yeah. that. <laughs> H8 hate. But it's five out of five. Mm-hmm. I feel like this review here could go either way. It could go one out of five or it could go five out of mm-hmm. five. They went on the five out of five. So this book's about orgies and people who like orgies and some people who hate orgies. I don't know what you take from that. And I don't really remember an orgies. <laughs> maybe I maybe I blacked out in part of the book, but I don't recall orgies. Anyway, a one out of one a one out of five review. This book is about observations. A lot of really boring observations. I agree, I agree too. I think that this review mm-hmm. is spot on. If it's five out of five, one out of five, I think this is a very accurate description of this book. Next one, one out of five. Sorry, I was so not into this one. I felt manipulated by cheap theatrics. Also, it was not very well written. I was looking for something much more profound. Okay. Fair enough. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the book is pretty profound. Yeah. But anyway, if, you know, to each their own. Last one, one out of five. Ugh. This book works better than Ambien. I would agree with that. I also agree. Yeah. Um, I was I, I was a, trying to read huge... the I was trying to read the book and I it would be laying in bed trying to fall asleep and read a couple paragraphs and I'm like hmm, bedtime. Yeah. In my in my office I have a love sack, a huge super sack love a cloud. sack. It's base it's a cloud. <laughs> yeah, it's basically like just laying down in a cloud. That's where I do my reading. It's comfortable for me. I don't typically have an issue with falling asleep while reading. I don't really fall asleep while doing anything other than trying to actively fall asleep. This book put me on the edge a little bit where I was laying there or sitting, I should say, in my love sack and going, I'm tired. So I agree with this review. Anyway. (laughs) As far as show rating, we have 1,171 reviews. Views, and then we have 214,032 ratings. For reviews, um, a 1 out of 10, I found the title was Grotesque and Profane Soap Opera. Recommend? (laughs) I can get Recommend? (laughs) Recommend? Question mark? No. Grotesque and Profane Soap Opera with Overt Cult Atmosphere. Okay. I did not choose to play this TV series, but still watch some of the episodes. So were they on Hulu and they finished something? And then it's like, oh, up next, we're going to play Handmaid's Tale. Possibly. And they just didn't stop it? Mm. Yeah. The show alternates between, quote, modern, end quote, society with electronics, cars, etc. To the simple and more rustic dystopian society without electronics, cars, etc. Content advisory, various occasional profanity, partial nudity, showing women's breasts, 
brainwashing and torture for incorrect answers, mutilation, murder, violence, rape, torture, violent abductions of adults in broad daylight, including women who are used for, quote, breeding, end quote, for sex shown, false imprisonment of adults and children. Did they just open a law book and go down and find everything that this show is guilty of? I think so, because a lot of that is just repeated words of the same thing. Mm. Whatever. Five out of ten, like lost stretch beyond its limits. While the premise was interesting, the first season was reasonably entertaining. After that, it became like flogging a dead horse. Jesus. Yeah. If constant misery, weekly rape, and vaginal bleeding is your thing, you're in for a triple threat. Okay. Okay. What? I I don't understand where the vaginal bleeding comes in, but, you know, whatever. And it wouldn't be weekly, would it? I mean, technically, it would have been monthly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, details. <laughs> the One of the best reviews I found, it was a 10 out of 10, breathtakingly stunning. Tack for real. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, okay. Easily and by far, the thing I've watched, incredible. So I'm guessing they forgot to add a word. Maybe the best thing I've watched instead of just the thing I've watched. Hmm. Uh, incredible series with outstanding acting, which we'll have more on that later. Ites, I-I-T-S, no apostrophe. Fantastic. Ites is undoubtedly and easily, comma, one of the most harrowing and extraordinary shows I've ever watched. Tack, period, in all caps, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Got it, dude. For for absolute first time, okay, and this is what makes me think maybe this is like a Russian writing this. For absolute first time, I can honestly say the series finally exceeds the book, which I will give it that. Yeah. Every emotive string was tugged except laughter. Again, I will give them that. Uh, not a whole lot of room to laugh during the show. Mm. The cast was unbelievably awesome. The direction, the cinematography, the character development, all sublime. I can't begin to tell you how much I was emotionally stuck on the series. If I could give the show 11 out of 10, trust me, I would. Wow. Oh, okay. They loved it. Okay. Like, to the ends of time. Got it. And beyond. Yeah. Good for them. We are going to now get into the plot of this story, the book and the show. When we were writing our outline, I started off with the beginning, middle, and end, and I just wrote Fever Dream for all of it on the book. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like the book really doesn't have a plot. It, no. I mean, it... I mean, technically it does because it's all like she is a handmaid. You get a little flashback of how she became into that, which implies like how this regime took over the country. You get a little insight into that. Then you get her sort of dealing with the environment in the home, the relationship between her and the wife, the relationship between her and the commander. And then there's this underlying uh fact that she needs to get pregnant to prove her worth 
or she's going to be sent away to the colonies. Not that it's said explicitly in the book that if she doesn't get pregnant, she's going to get sent, but it's implied that the women that sort of prove that they can't procreate, the handmaids that is, they have so many tries and then, or so many tries, meaning so many different households, commanders that they go to before yeah, they which, go to colonies. I think in, in the movie, they say it's three tries mm-hmm. before they get sent to the colony. Which, again, is probably Margaret Atwood just coming back and going, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I should probably answer that. In the book, it doesn't explicitly say. I believe that Alfred in the book makes a comment about how this household, the Waterfords, is her third posting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then there's not really much, there's not really that much sense said after that. But it, they do make a comment about her age saying essentially the whole like your biological clock is ticking type statement. So the beginning is she's at the house. The The middle for me is for the book that I should say is this weird relationship she has with the commander. And it's a mix of is she seeking his attention because she's so bored and so ostracized or is she seeking it because she actually wants to do the little spy thing which comes into play with Offlin. Mm-hmm. I believe it's a mix of both. I think she's just so bored, so lonely that she likes this attention she's getting from the commander. She likes these little scrabble dates that they're having. Um I don't think she's physically attracted to the commander whatsoever, especially in the book because he's very old. And she makes a lot of comments about that, but she's sort of doing what she can because she doesn't want to say no to him and, you know, get, I don't know, like get reprimanded or sort of retaliation from him. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to fall back on. I really don't think the book has a strong plot. There's a lot of that we follow and we're sort of meant to infer from things that she's taking in. Remember from that review, the observations, a lot of boring observations. That's what the book is. But like you said at the beginning, it's a fever dream in the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, It goes all over the place. And that's what I had a big issue with. I think the show has a much better method of tackling the storyline going kind of chronologically they have the flashbacks there are a lot of flashbacks i think the book or the show rather uh does a much better job of dealing with how they got to the point that they are now and they show especially in the middle uh the protests that june and moira go to to combat the raising restrictions on women's rights i think yeah so there's a ton of examples in the show where they're showing or they're portraying offred aka june as this heroine per se she's an activist yeah as this figure who realizes what's going on and wants to stand up against it Whereas in the in the book, it's her mom who's the activist, and she's just kind of like a mom, do your thing, and yeah. I'm just going to be here. 
Yeah, that's a big departure, I think, from the book to the show, is that there is no mention of her mother. And from what I could tell from the 1990 adaptation either, they didn't talk about her mother at all either. Which, mm-hmm. I, I I put some, I have tabs that I specifically set aside, this color, for when I feel that an author is bleeding into the story. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is, the author is writing about things or spending a little bit too much time on a topic that it's clear that this is a lot closer to the author than maybe it it needs to be in the book per se. And the mother really jumped out for me because whenever the opportunity arises for Margaret Atwood to write about Offred's mother, she goes into a lot of detail, but her mother herself in the book does not really drive the plot whatsoever. And there's no closure on it either. It's just these sort of isolated rants that Offred has about her mother, which makes me wonder. Like, she assumes her mother's dead. Yeah, it, it, and then there's a thing where Moira's like, oh, I saw your mother in one of these movies. She's out in the colonies. And I think that's like a cop-out. And I wonder if an editor along the way was like, hey, Atwood, you need to close some of these plot holes. Because there's a ton of them. There's so many plot holes in the book. And the mother one, I think she just goes, okay, I'm going to put her in a colony. She's going to be video. And Moira's going to see her. And Moira's going to tell Alfred. Then we're done with her. I want to say that Margaret Atwood has mommy issues. I think she doesn't have a great relationship with her mother. Because the types of situations she writes regarding um, Alfred's mother in the book. Mm-hmm. She's got issues. She's got mommy issues. Well, even with our notes for the middle of the plot for the show and the book, in the middle of the book for your notes, uh, it's Mora escapes the Red Center and Alfred has nothing to do with it. Yeah, that's another thing. But then in, in the yeah, show, in the show, she's like part Moira of it. Moira and Alfred, it's a joint, yeah, it's a joint experience. And then Alfred gets captured. Moira goes off, but then she ends up finding out that she got sent to Jezebel's. But with their, with Alfred's mother, with June's mother in the show, she had a much bigger part in the story in general. Yeah. So. so you, I think Margaret Atwood wanted Alfred to come across as a bigger feminist type character than she actually mm-hmm. does. So she's trying to make up for that in the 1990 and the Hulu adaptation of the book, because you get a lot more uh, mm-hmm. fight friction and, sort of badassness from Alfred than you do in the book. The book is more, I'm just going to take it, whatever. I don't want to cause any problems. And then later when we talk about her relationship with Nick, there's a part in the book where Alfred is trying to join the the sort of dissenters. You know, she wants to join the spy network and sort of take down the regime, which is great. I think that would have made for an awesome plot. So you're following following that in the book going okay i get this now we're going to sort of be an insurgent but then all of a sudden we get but the, nothing happens yeah with there's it. nothing that she does she doesn't actually contribute to anything the stuff that you see in the in the show 
that she's doing with the pack. That doesn't happen in the book. She's not actually contributing mm-hmm. to the movement whatsoever. She meets up with Moira at the Jezebel club. And then the, Margaret's like, man, we never see her again. Cool. I don't know what happened to her. So Moira could be dead in a ditch for all Offred knows. And it, like, we don't care. The Offlin stuff, like she finds out that Offlin is part of this insurgent type group, spy network. She's like, I want to be a part of it. I need to be a part of it. And then she does nothing. They're like, okay, what can you get from the yeah. commander? Nothing. And then when the Nick storyline comes into play, yeah. she's like a lovesick puppy again. She just wants to like go screw Nick and be like a fat like the, all she's thinking about is we can be a family we can be a family bitch in what world are you living in that this is an option right now like she knows that it's not an mm-hmm. option but she doesn't want she just gave up on everything else and it's oh, duh i'm gonna say this the <laughs> show does a better job how do you really feel i hate it i hate it because this and show or book or both. both, I hate them both. But I will concede that the show does a better job of filling in all those gaps that you don't have from the book. And I'm not judging the book too harshly because it is written in a way where it's just her perspective. So you don't have any other outside knowledge. She is closed off. She's not reading news. She doesn't understand what's going on. Anything she knows is because Serena Joy puts on the news for a little bit before they have the ceremony. So she's just getting bits and pieces. She can't talk to anyone because there's the eye that's going to like swoop down and capture her, which in the, who is Nick? Yeah. In the show, it's like right off from the beginning. She's like, are you an eye? He goes, yeah, I am. But you don't get that in the Mm -hmm. book. Not until the very end. And the ending is another one. I said this last, a week with the movie of the girl with the dragon tattoo where you had this very pretentious ending with like the fin on a black screen. That is the equivalent of the ending of Handmaid's Tale where it's just fin and nothing is answered. You just left to your own devices to sort of figure out, which I guess is a, is a tactic for an author where she's not going to tell you exactly what happened. Use your imagination. And I can respect that. But it also fucking infuriated me. You're welcome, Danny. Well, I have watched further episodes the following seasons of The Handmaid's Tale for the show. And it it answers some of the questions for the cliffhanger. Um, so I'm trying to keep that out of it. But the end of the first season matches with the end of the book. Yes, and it does. And remember, I we talked am, about this. Yeah. How I was watching the show and I go, okay, well, this is really departing from the book. So I'm not expecting to end on the same note, but it does end on the same note. But it the implications are much different because you have her getting picked up by the eye or the eyes. Uh, Nick is clearly a part of it. But now you know, you know that he's a part of it from really early on. Where in the book you don't. So what the way that the book ends is, is he lying to me? Is he actually an I? Am I getting picked up for something else? 
So you're you're definitely more frantic at the end of the book than you are in the show because the show is like, well, Nick's going to take care of me. I'm, I've known he's been an eye for a long time. And actually, I don't even remember what she gets picked up for in the first place in the, in the uh, show. Jeez. What is it? I want to say it's because of oh, they don't the... Know. Well, no, in the show, it's because they refused to stone Janine. Janine, yeah. Yeah. Which is not what is in the book. But it's not that way in the book. Yeah, I don't actually think there's a clear answer as why the eye comes to collect Alfred in the book. You know that Serena Joy is wise, is hit to the fact that the commander is taking Alfred out to the Jezebel to the club and she's caught on to her. So at first you're thinking like, did Serena call her in? But at the same time, no, because Alfred is now probably pregnant and that's all Serena cares about is the baby. So Serena's not the one that put her in. So you don't actually know in the book. I don't like it. I don't know. No. The the plot in the book is all over the place, if you even consider that there is a plot. So we start off with, she's in the Red Center. Big departure from the book is that in the show, when Alfred shows up, Moira's already there. Yeah. Yeah, so Alfred's there. She gets picked up because her and Luke try to escape to the border. They get caught. She's trying to run. She gets captured. Um, we don't know what happened to Luke. And in the movie, in the movie, they keep going back to the daughter. They're just wandering around. Oh, in the my wilderness. God. In the 1990 adaptation, it's so stupid. He gets shot trying to cross. And then she He's runs dead. Like, oh, He's no. clearly yeah. dead. Yeah. She's like, oh, no, not my Luke. And then she gets captured. But for, like, the next 40 minutes, there's just always these flashbacks of the kid just walking around in the snow. And at one point, I'm like, why is this kid still walking around in the show? Yeah. In, the, in the snow. It's so <clears throat> stupid. Um, okay. So, yeah. She's there first. She's already falling in line. Like, she's just not fighting it whatsoever. Mora shows up. She and then- totally drinks the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I believe that. Alfred is like, all right, I just got to do this to not get in trouble. Moira shows up and she's like kicking up dust. You know, she doesn't want to be part of this. She tries to get out of it in the book. Um, And then she gets, she says she pretends that she's sick and she tries to not escape. I think she's just trying to get out of the Red Center. But when she comes back, they punish her by her feet. But in the show... Alfred is the one that has the feet thing happen to her, right? Yeah. It, which, again, mm-hmm. is like, why? It makes no... I don't understand why they changed that. The big thing I got from the beginning of the book was Margaret Atwood, I think she was horny as fuck writing this. Because <laughs> any chance she gets, she's just talking. Like, so they're... they're That's the her rest, Danny. Yeah. You're, there you go, Danny. She's fucking horny. Um, in the book... The in the Red Center, all the handmaids are basically like in a gymnasium in a high school or something on cots. Like think of you know like a the center where you go if there's after like a tornado or a hurricane. That's kind of what it looks like. But mm-hmm. all she's talking about for like a page and a half is oh yeah, this is where they used to have dances and then they would hook up and they were horny and this and that and that's all they cared about. I'm like, what does this have to do with what's happening right now? Um, nothing 
Yeah, I, it just, I didn't connect to it at all. I also believe that the way that Margaret Atwood writes about her husband, the Offred's husband and her daughter in the book, especially in the beginning, I really have no connection to them. Any of them. I have no connection to Offred. I have no connection to Luke, to the daughter, to Moira. I just, I could not care less about any of those I had zero connection to any character in the book. Yeah, and even at the end, I still didn't care. Uh, I think I related a little bit more to Serena, and I don't mean related in the second word. That that's what I would do. I mean in the show, right? It both. Even in the book, I felt like really? I I connected more with Serena, just thinking like this is really hard to have to deal with, right? Um, and she's a woman hmm. in both the show and the movie. She's a woman who has, or not movie, the show. She's a woman that has a pretty impressive background. Granted, they are two very, very different backgrounds from the book to the show. The book, she's a singer. She's an evangelical. You know, she was pretty famous. And now she's just knitting and gardening because of this new regime. So I, I felt sorry for her. Not that she really deserved it. It's just... I connected just slightly. And by slightly, I mean fractionally more than any of the other characters. In the show, though, I am team Serena 100% through and through. I don't care what she does. That's my girl. In the show, I will support her 100% because she had an idea. And her husband took that idea and said, this is mine now. And I don't agree with that. In the yeah. book, however, um, I do not support her at all. 100%. Mm. I don't she's like her. a little her. bit harsher in the book, I think. Actually, yeah. you know what? It's funny, though, because I think in the show she's harsher because there's a lot of, like, beating that's going on. That's not... She does not do that in the book. I don't think she ever gets physical with her. No, and I... I think that maybe in the show, because we see it, uh, we're more willing to forgive. Is that a good way to I don't know. put it? Uh, I it's, think that... Like, you, you, you're more willing to forgive uh, a pretty person. Oh, you're saying that because in the show, she's, like, young and pretty? Yeah. That you're a little bit softer for her? I yeah. don't even think that played into... A, played into it for me i just think her character got the short end of the stick and these wives are just as much victims as the handmaids so i i'm probably gonna get a lot of hate for this everyone's like oh it's violence women against women i'm like yeah but whose fault is that i'm gonna go back and say it's the men's fault i'm always gonna say that yeah so i and maybe that's why i just mm. well i agree mm. with you Okay. Totally. And also, I really don't think Offred's character is likable. And I think there's a lot of stuff that comes through from in the, the author that bleeds in. Yeah. In the book, I don't like her at all. Yeah. One of the things that, that stuck out, and I made a note of this, was Offred's character, she's best friends with Moira, book and show. But in the book... Movie, Okay, not. so we... No, movie not, yeah. That, that's another weird thing. Uh, but from the book to the show, Moira and Offred are friends, best friends, like very, very, very close friends. Mm -hmm. 
But in the book, we know that Moira eventually, we know eventually that she is a lesbian because there's a point or a discussion where she has to hide that because they call them like gender traitors and they kill them and put them up yeah. on the wall. But early on, there's a, a little bit of a flashback, memory, whatever, where Alfred is talking about how when she first learned that Moira was a lesbian and their relationship was strained and they well, didn't she, talk yeah, for a she, while. She did not want to hug her or have any kind of physical yeah. contact. Yeah. And she said that she wasn't comfortable with her until she accepted that Moira was not attracted to her. And I just thought, this is so absurd. Yeah. This is such an absurd thing. And the only thing I could really blame on that was the author. I think more, more, I think Margaret Atwood is maybe a closeted homophobe because a lot of the stuff that she takes a lot of time to make comments and statements about homosexuals in the book that I'm just going to say it. I think she's a homophobe. So I don't like, I don't like Alfred. I don't even like her in the show. And maybe, I don't know if Elizabeth Moss plays into that. I didn't connect with her or if it's just because I read first and then watching it, I already was resigned to the fact that I wasn't going to like Alfred. (sighs) The commander, super weird, both book and show. And I was trying to make a decision on, is he weirder in the book or in the show? And I want to say he's weirder in the show. I think weirder in the book. Really? I think he's weirder in the show. Yeah. Because in the book, you don't have any of that backstory that you have in the show. Where he's just an old dude in this regime and he just, like, he is attracted to Offrey. He's just like a creepy old dude. Not saying that's okay. But the, the fact that he is an old dude who's attracted to Alfred. It just, it's like the 75 year old guy. I don't know if he's 75, but he's, the... he's older, but Alfred's also in her thirties. So it's not like Alfred is a teenager. Yeah, but she's early thirties. So she kind of can cling to the younger. Yeah. I don't know about that. Love it. I don't think there's. I think it's weird that they're older. I didn't really hone in too much of that because there's not a mutual attraction. I think again, I'm going to go back to this situationship. Last mm-hmm. week I was talking about. I think they're just. They're both there. Um, they both want attention. They both want to do something that's outside of what is dictated. They should be doing. So they're both finding solace in that. Where in the show you get more of the commander's backstory which i believe makes him more of a villain than i would portray him in the book i would not label him as a villain in the book but in the show he's definitely he's skirting the line of villainous for me i don't like any of the characters at all (laughs) show or book at all I don't like Yeah, this is one. this is going well. We're like we're trying to to work through this adaptation of a handmade self <laughs> new book to the show and all you're getting from us is I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like them. I don't like the plot. I don't I don't like either any of them. Uh 
we're gonna get into the ratings later on, but I no the book the show for me too. No. The only reason I finished it is because I know I we're doing this podcast. No, but honestly, I think when we were talking to Danny, Danny said he watched the show and he was like made it up to episode five before he got really frustrated and stressed out. Um, I <laughs> made it. Give him more time, Danny. I no, no, Danny, you don't need more time. I made it to episode five and then I made it to episode eight and I was lied to because I thought there was only eight episodes, but there was 10. So I was angry, especially when Nick and Luke got their own episode. I was fucking furious. Physically angry. I remember texting Jackie going, what is this? Why do they have their own episode? Steam, steam coming out of ears. Yeah, I didn't like it. The only character I believe out of both the book and the show that I connected with, and this is only because of the show, is Janine. The only time that I felt any sort of emotion was for Janine. Slightly in the book, slightly with the birth scene and her having to hand over the baby. Me as a mother, I was like, I don't like this. But in the show, I was crying. And then in the show, anytime Offred had a conversation with Janine and you could tell like how far off Janine was from reality. I felt with that because you could you could feel that she was just broken. Oh, Janine was yeah. She was unhinged. just utterly broken, and I felt for that. Not that I actually related to it in any sense, but I felt it. And then the scene with Janine on the bridge because she was convinced that the commander was leaving his wife and they were going to go be a family with the baby and et cetera, et cetera. So she's on the bridge. Alfred comes Mm -hmm. to sort of talk her off the ledge, literally. Um, And she doesn't. Which does not happen. Yeah, there's no Janine's character in the book is more like an annoyance to Alfred. There's not any relationship that forms between them. You meet her first. Because Janine totally drank the Kool-Aid in the book. She is all about making Aunt Lydia happy. and Yeah, there's some weird stuff there. I actually don't know if I would say she drank the Kool-Aid. I would think, or I would say... That she was just broken. Because you get a lot of the the little circle time they did. Where Janine's giving her story of where she was gang raped in a basement by her friends when she was 14. So she was a child. And then it's like, whose fault is that? Oh, it's her fault. (sighs) And you're doing that whole scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when she sort of speaks back. They pluck out her eye. They, you don't awful. see it. So if you haven't seen the show and you're not against gore, or you are against gore, you don't see it. You just see her get taken away and it comes back and she has this patch over her eye. And there's this whole like Bible verse of, you know, if she offends me, then mm-hmm. pluck out the right eye or whatever. So she has that. So she's missing an eye. And then there's some other stuff that happens. So she's just broken. And she eventually gets pregnant. In the book, you meet her while she's already pregnant. So it, all the handmaids are, like, jealous and um, mm-hmm. happy at the same time because they know how much that is worth. So Janine's pregnant. She's already, like, above them in status-wise because she was able to get pregnant. They She has the baby. 
But in the book, though, the baby dies. Not right away. I think it's like a few days later. Oh, yeah. They talking about uh, talk about it having like claws or something. Yeah, they call it um, an unbaby. Or... It's defective. Yeah, there's some sort of defective yeah. where it must be internally because when the baby's born, they make comments about how, oh, it's a good baby. It's a good baby. But then a few days later, it dies. It does not die in the show. The baby is whole. And that sort of drives the plot in the show more where uh, it's clear that there's sort of this extra relationship that's happening between Janine and her commander that he was telling her, you know, whispering sweet nothings into her ear or something. And he gets caught up in that where he gets punished. I promise. Yeah, like he's like, we're going to be a family. Go but, you know, he's get a married. fucking liar because most men are. And- he loses and yeah arm. yeah that was weird too in the show uh you don't see it after the fact but you're like are they cutting his arm off like you take him to the hospital and it's weird it's so weird yeah punishments are yeah extreme very extreme like finger hand arm eye yeah they're taking it away from you so he gets punished for that well and what you haven't seen, Mel, is later on in the series, Serena Joy, she ends up losing an arm. Oh. Yeah, why are you telling me that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was so resolved well, in my I conviction to not I continue. I know you're not going to watch it. Yeah, I'm it, not. So I don't want to. You're not going to watch it. But now so. I want to know why. But don't tell me. God damn it, Jackie. Anyway. Just watch season two. Yeah. Something in the sh- that the show does from the book is they introduce things a lot earlier. Where in the book, you're getting sort of her day-to-day. She's going shopping. They're getting fucking oranges. I'm so sick of these goddamn oranges. I don't care anymore. And even the way that they describe the oranges is different from the book to the show and the movie. And it's like, oh my god, they're just fucking oranges. I don't care. Uh, so no more mimosas for you no i know mimosas are fine my melmosas are fine it's just how stupid it is in the show in the book about these goddamn oranges i don't care uh, they they go shopping so what i'm saying is in the book it's just a lot of mundane bullshit that you're just seeing through Alfred's eyes for the first half of this book and mind you it's not a long book it's not even 300 pages so half of it is just her doing mundane, boring shit and making boring observations of the shit that's going on around her, if I reference the, the review from earlier. And then the second half, so mind you, it's like another hundred and so pages, where now we get meat to the plot, where there's a lot happening. There's the, the, the insurgents and the spies and the commander's taking her to the Jezebels, and then she's fucking nick so she can have a baby because serena is just holed up on this and she's pretty sure that her husband is sterile and you're getting all that within like a hundred pages so it's just compressed and chaotic and a lot of plot points are just left to be unresolved moira you never know what happens to her offland is just gone you don't know what happens to her um the eyes come and pick up offred you don't know what happens to her and it's a lot of like Cool, and it's over. I threw the book down and was like, fantastic, I'm going to bed now. Where the show, you get a lot more. You have off It goes on. Yeah, you get a lot more where the show introduces things earlier. 
so you get a, a clearer picture of how bad things are. One of the big things was the um, was the salvaging, right? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so you have the salvaging, which in the book happens very, very, very late, where you have this guy mm-hmm. come out, and apparently he raped the handmaid. Apparently he she was pregnant and the baby died. You don't know if this is true. In the book, it's it's brought to your attention that it's not, it's a cover. He was part of the resistance. Offlin, you, you have that conversation between but Offlin and Offlin. it Alfred. happens so early on in the book. Yeah, and there's no connection between what they do to this dude and him being uh, part of the insurgency, spies, whatever. And Offred in the book does not partake. She just sees this as like, again, it's, I think it showcases that she's a very weak character. Um, Some people might argue that she's stronger because she doesn't want to participate in the brutalization of this man. Uh, I, I disagree. I think she's just a weak character. Really. She just was scared and didn't know what to do. But in the, in the show, you get this. She initiates. Yeah, she's the first one to walk up and just start wailing on this dude. Then they all come in, the handmaids, and just start beating him to death. But then that's it. You don't get any other connections. Yeah. So he's just a dude that these handmaids beat to a pulp, and that's it. Sure. Uh, you also... Something in the book that I thought was strange, which I, I believe they answered better in the show, was the foreign visitors... In the book, oh, it's like yeah. Japanese tourists, and they're coming up with a translator and wanting to ask them questions. Yeah, and like, but <laughs> in the show, in the show, it's Mexican uh, trade delegation. Yeah, so you have an ambassador. It's a very, it's a more formal reason for them visiting, and you you find out a little bit during the episode that the reason they're there is because Mexico is also, the whole world is dealing with this fertility issue. The whole world is dealing with environmental issues. So the the United States is the only country that has found a way to answer that with the handmaids. Not that it's the right way, but it's one of those situations where the ends justifies the means. So Mexico now is next in line where they make a comment of they haven't had a child born alive in six years in the whole country. So you have to understand Mexico is huge. So the whole country, that whole population of a child has not been born and lived in six years. So they are there to open up these trade embargoes. And we find out that one of the resources they want to trade is the handmaids themselves. So Alfred has this scene where she's telling the Mexican delegator, um, ambassador that we're slaves they rape us this is not good is that good and the mexican delegates like i can't help you i'm sorry right mm-hmm. i i didn't know what to do with that scene i didn't know what to do with that storyline well, in in the show they like we feel for you we want to put your story out there all this other stuff so they give the letter to luke and he ends up getting it in Canada. But oh, in yeah. the book, it's totally different. Yeah, they, there's no connection between that and Luke. But in the book, or not in the book, the movie, they or bring Luke. Yeah the, the, yeah, the show. Sorry. 
in the show, they bring Luke's storyline back into it with um, the assistant to the Mexican ambassador's like, oh, are you so-and-so? Do you know Luke, whatever his name is? And they're like, it's my husband. Like, oh, well, he's alive. You can write him a note and we'll bring it to him. And I just thought, this is so fucking weird. And I don't understand how it makes sense. But apparently she gives him the note. He brings it back. Luke is in Canada living in some refugee center with another handmaid. Oh, there's just so much shit that's going on. Well, he has nothing he to do with the book. Finding, uh, he ends up finding Mora. Yeah, at the end of the season, at the end of the season, she finally escapes from Jezebel's and yeah. makes it up there. And then he, she's part of some refugee call system where I guess Luke had identified her as family as well. So he got a notification yeah. when she made it to the center. So that's great. Yeah. And again, remember, does, I have not does watched. Does not happen in the book. It does not happen in the book. And I have not watched any of the other seasons. So I don't know what happens. Um, but I also don't care. Yeah, I, I don't care. Me neither. So here we are. I There's not a lot to talk about. The show has a lot going on. But if we're comparing it to the book and the adaptation itself, the book is a fever dream. I'm going to keep going back to that. The show, also a little bit feverish, dreamish. But they give you not all the excess. Bad, the, not as bad. Not as bad at all. They give you background story. They fill in those sort of plot holes and gaps that the book leaves you hanging with. Um, but I'm going to say I don't think it did enough. I was not intrigued. Okay, so you're saying don't read the book, don't watch a show at all. Yeah, I'm saying we're going to, you know what, let's do that. Let's just talk about our final reviews. If I were to give the book a Goodreads review out of five, I would give it two. And this is only okay. because... I did not feel the urge to DNF. I mm-hmm. considered it when I was reading. I was like, I know I've finished this before and I'm reading it now, but I got to finish it for the podcast. There's nothing where I was, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore and had to throw the book down and walk away. So I'm going to give it a two. And it's really based on the fact that I wasn't compelled to DNF it. Um, but it was very fever dreamish. I did not care towards the end. And it's weird because I don't remember having this emotional response the first time I read it. I feel like the first time I read, I was perfectly fine with it. But reading it again, I, I really didn't care. The show, and this is my complete objective review of the show. If you don't consider the book, I would say the show deserves like an 8 out of 10 on IMDb. It fills in, you know, get a lot of that perspective. The plot holes are are covered down on. Um, And it was done. Acting was really good, even though we don't agree with the casting. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I think if you were coming into this without reading the book, maybe you're not as affected by the casting. So objectively, 8 out of 10. But my final, final answer is just don't do either. No. Don't read it. Don't watch it. Just find something else to do. (laughs) Okay. So for me, I would also go with the two out of five for the book. Um, Honestly, with the book, I never, ever, ever thought 
that I would ever encounter a book that I could not finish. I did for you all, but it was so difficult. So consider that a sacrifice from me to you. Do you think it's because you watched the show first without ever reading the book? Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Okay. The book was so difficult. <laughs> so and we're hard. not saying the book was bad. It's just no, not it an wasn't. Easy it read. was just it was the way that it was written, and it's what I'm used to. I love Margaret Atwood. I really do, but I could not do the book. Um, as far as the show goes, uh, I would give it an eight point. Five out of oh, ten, okay. so slightly, slightly above Mel's. Uh, and the reason for that is because I appreciate the show's delving into the other characters, so Luke, Moira, stuff like that. Uh, oh, the reason I didn't I, like it. <laughs> yeah, well, the reason I gave it an 8.5 instead of a 10 out of 10 is because of the casting. Okay. I, okay. I did not like it. Yeah, and casting is obviously big because it really can affect your per- whole perception. Yeah, because if you read something first, you have a mindset of how things are supposed to be. And if they don't meet that, then... If I would have to pick one or the other, read or watch, I would say watch. Watch the show, not the movie. All right. I can concur with that. If if your only options were to read or watch, I would definitely say watch. But since we have three options, which is read, watch, or DNF, I would say just don't even get to the DNF. Don't even start it. Definitely watch the show. No. Find something else to do. Don't waste your time. Not the movie. Yeah, don't do the movie. (laughs) Oh, God, no. I mean, if you want to have, like, a good, drunken, um, just funny night, maybe a date night, like, it, or if you don't like your date, I don't know, uh, try it out. Uh, that, that, that's just a down, really weird like... date, though, because that's not good. Yeah, this would be, like, if you're just, like, an awkward Tinder date, you're, like, on date three of Tinder, and you don't, you're not really sure. It, it, it's funny. I, I think it's funny. There's comedic relief in it. But the movie is so bad. Okay, so here we are. Jackie says watch. I say don't do either. Find a different hobby. Do something else. And there we are. Yeah. All right, guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.